Welcome. We're glad to have everyone here uh, this morning as we continue thinking in a series about uh, loving the right things. We started off talking about 2 Timothy 3, where Paul said that in the last days, people would be lovers of self and lovers of money and lovers of pleasure, but not lovers of God. And that our, our problem isn't that we don't love, it's that we don't love the right things. And so that's what we need to be focused on is loving the right things. And that's what we've been thinking about together for the last several weeks. Anatoly Sharansky was a Jewish dissident during the Soviet era. And he was imprisoned in the late 1970s because of his activism and, and his refusal to go along with so many of the Soviet policies. Finally, in 1986, after nine years in the Soviet prison camp, he was part of a prisoner exchange between the East and the West, and so he finally gained his freedom. And as he was being escorted uh, to the place where the exchange was going to take place, his escorts tried to take away from him his copy of the book of Psalms in Hebrew. His wife had sent it to him from Israel when he was imprisoned, and he cherished that book, and when they tried to take it away from him, Sharansky just threw himself down in the snow and refused to move another step until they gave it back to him, and they did. Earlier in his imprisonment, he had spent 130 days in solitary confinement because they tried to take away from him that copy of the Psalms, and he wouldn't give it up, and so they put him in solitary confinement for 130 days. That book of Psalms almost cost him his life. Why would you make such a big deal over a copy of the Psalms? Why would you go on a hunger strike over the copy of the Psalms? Why would you endure solitary confinement? Why would you risk death over a copy of the Psalms? Sharansky said the reason was that those Psalms had helped him so much. They had sustained him during those days of imprisonment when everything looked hopeless and he wasn't about to let them go. Sharansky was a Jew, and yet he had never been particularly religious. But during those days of imprisonment, he learned to love that part of God's Word, the only part that was available to him, the book of Psalms, so much so that he risked his life rather than give it up. Have you ever thought about how much different, how much better our world would be if more people loved God's Word if more people loved Scripture and loved what Scripture says and sought to live by it, when Paul wrote that in the last days people would be lovers of self and lovers of money and lovers of pleasure but not lovers of God, I think he surely foresaw exactly the kinds of, of uh, moral and spiritual conditions that we are coping with even now as we live. He, he knew that those days were coming. He said they were going to be times of trouble, difficult times. Evil days, Peter called them. But if more people loved God, then they would love his word. And if they loved his word, then they would try to live by it, and the world would be a better place. And certainly for us as followers of Christ, we should, above all things, love God's word because it tells us about our creator. It tells us about our savior. It tells us about our hope, about our eternal destiny, about where we will spend eternity in the presence of God. You heard the readings from Psalms 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses. 
And Psalms 119 is so long because it's an extended uh, poem in praise of God and of his word, which is called by all the synonyms that the psalmist could think of. He calls it the law, the commandments, the statutes, the rules, the precepts, the principles, the testimonies, everything he can think of to describe the word of God. It's what's called an acrostic poem. That means that the psalmist took the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet and he composed 22 separate stanzas, each exactly the same length, each one beginning with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And if so if you're reading the uh, NIV or the ESV and you look at Psalms 1, verse 1, for example, you'll see it says Aleph, the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. NIV even prints the letter there for you so that you can, can see that. But then that's why he, he, it's so long. He gives one poem uh, based on the first letter and another poem based on the second, and all the way through 22 stanzas, but they're all about the same thing. They're all about the word of God. They are all about God's goodness and the goodness of his word and about the benefits of living by God's word. What comes across so powerfully is just how much the psalmist, whoever he was, and the psalm doesn't have anybody's name on it, but whoever the psalmist was, what comes across so powerfully is how much he loved the word of God. He loved the word of God. He delighted in the word of God. In verses 35 and 36, he said, Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it, and incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Verses 46 to 48, I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Verses 92 and 93, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. And then verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. I want you to notice that the scripture does not discuss God's law as some kind of formula for destroying happiness. That's the way a lot of people in the world look at the Bible, isn't it? You know, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want to live by the Bible because it destroys your happiness. It just puts all these rules on you, and you live by those rules, and it basically says anything that you enjoy, don't do it. Well, that's not, certainly not the attitude of the psalmist, is it? He doesn't say anything about it being a, a sequence of commandments that if you don't do all the right things, God's going to get you. It's not how he looked at it. He looked at it as a delight. He looked at it as a blessing. He looked at it as a joy. He looked at it as something to be loved, something that sustains life. And those of us who seek to live by it understand that. We understand something that those who ignore it never will. They never will get it. They never will understand it. But that's the spirit in which the psalmist speaks about the law of God. Now, let's think for a minute about why we ought to love Scripture. Why should we love Scripture? There are a lot of reasons, and probably each person here who reads Scripture and loves it would have your own reasons. But let me suggest just a few to you. One is because it is so beautiful and powerful and profound. I found out a long time ago from talking to funeral directors that almost every family 
wants to have the 23rd Psalm read at the funeral of a loved one. Even non-believers want that Psalm read at the funeral of their loved ones. Why? Because it's beautiful. It's profound. It's comforting. It says something to them that even as non-believers in God, non-believers in Christ, that they recognize as being important, something that they want to hear and need to hear in their time of grief. Virgil Bentley had one of the most beautiful speaking voices I've ever heard. He had the kind of voice that every preacher wishes that he had. And, and I heard Virgil years ago preach this sermon that he called the beauty of the Bible. And Virgil would just get up and he would begin this sermon. He would quote chapter after chapter in the Bible without comment. Just to make the point of how beautiful, how powerful the scripture is. And, and how eloquently the scripture speaks. That sermon was, uh, had a great impact on me. I love to hear Virgil do it. But it made the point of how beautiful the scriptures really are. Try reading the 23rd Psalm aloud. Try reading the Sermon on the Mount aloud or the first chapter of Hebrews or the 21st chapter of the book of Revelation and see if you don't agree that scripture is beautiful and it's powerful and it's profound. Even from a literary standpoint alone, it's no wonder that the Bible has survived the ages because people love it so. Another reason why we ought to love the Bible is because it's, it's a communication from God. Think about that. When we're reading scripture, we're reading God's own words to us. We are getting as close as you and I can get in this life to hearing God's own voice. Uh, Wayne and Tiffany and I were reading yesterday in Exodus how Moses used to go out to the tent of meeting and meet with the Lord, and it said that he talked with, with the Lord face to face. The Hebrew says literally mouth to mouth. They had a conversation. He got to hear the voice of God unmediated. And what an amazing thought that that is. But when you and I read Scripture, that's as close as we can get to hearing God's own voice. That's why Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God. Inspired is the, the word we sometimes use, but it literally means breathed out. It has its source within. It comes from within God. It is a part of God's own thoughts. It's an expression of God's will. I also like the way that Peter put it in 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21. He said, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. That's not where it came from. That's not where Scripture originates. He says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. As they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a beautiful image? Because that word uh, in the original means to be kind of floated like a boat, a boat going down a stream. And these inspired writers were carried along by God's Spirit so that what they wrote were not their words, they were God's words. And so that we would have that message from God 
and that we can consult it anytime that we will. That puts the Bible in class by itself because God is speaking to us. That is not true of any other literature in the world, but it's true of the Bible. And so we ought to love it because God is speaking to us. We ought to love it also because it makes us wise for salvation, Paul said. When Paul wrote 2 Timothy, he was cautioning Timothy about evil people who will, as he said, go from bad to worse as time goes on. Evil people will go from bad to worse. But Paul speaks of the difference that the Scripture has already made in Timothy's life and the difference that it can make in his life. And so he says in 2 Timothy 3, 14, but as for you, contrasting him to these godless people, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation. What do you suppose that means? What does it mean to be wise for salvation? Well, it means Scripture shows you why you need salvation. Scripture tells you about your sins. The world's not ever going to tell you about that. The world isn't ever going to tell you that you need God's salvation because you're a sinner. The world is going to tell you that if you think you're okay, then you're okay. That whatever you want to do, whatever you think is right, is right. <clears throat> that <clears throat> nothing is absolutely right or absolutely wrong, and it's just up to you. You just go with your own truth. Scripture says, no, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we need salvation. Scripture tells us how salvation comes through faith in Jesus. And what Jesus did by dying on that cross and rising from the dead to make salvation possible, and then what you and I need to do to respond to that. How do we receive that? How do we accept that? Scripture teaches us that. Scripture teaches us what to do. This was a wisdom that young Timothy was blessed to have from an early age. If you've had that from an early age, rejoice in it. You've been blessed. And if you haven't had that and you don't have that wisdom yet, it's a wisdom you can't afford to live without. And one of our goals, one of our purposes here at this church is to help everyone get acquainted with it. And we'd be so happy to help you do that. If you'll just let us know that that's your desire, we can introduce you to these beauties of the Bible, these truths, these blessings, these delights of the Word of God. It makes you wise for salvation. It's also useful for your spiritual development. Right after Paul said that all scriptures breathed out by God, he said, and it's useful or it's profitable. Profitable for what? Useful to do what? He says for teaching so that we know what to believe and we know how to live. It's also profitable, he says, for reproof, because sometimes we get it wrong, don't we? And we need to be reproved. We need to have our, our thinking corrected. We need to be rebuked. And we get that from Scripture. It will rebuke us when we, when we need it. It's profitable for correction, to show us 
what to do once we realize that, that things aren't like they ought to be and to guide us in living in the right way. And also, Paul says, it's, it's profitable for training in righteousness, to train us, to teach us to live as God desires us to live. So it, it is this makes us complete, Paul says, equipped for every good work. It is the greatest training manual ever. Greatest training manual ever. If you want to see that in a fairly short period of time, just sit down and start reading the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, some people think, was written as a training manual for young Israelite princes to teach them how to conduct their lives and how to avoid pitfalls and, and how not to go astray and, and how to pay attention to the right things and reject the wrong things. And just start reading that. And you will recognize an awful lot of common sense in there, but you'll recognize a lot of uncommon sense. You'll recognize a lot of, a lot of teachings that guide you and will train you in how to live in this world. We ought to love God's word because of that. We ought to love God's word also because it's the sword of the spirit. It's the sword of the spirit. What do we need with the sword? Well, just look at the world. Just look at what's going on as you go out every day and you're confronted by evil and you're confronted by temptation and you're confronted by danger in this world. You need the sword of God's spirit. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 6, verses 10 to 12, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That's what we need. We need some way to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. On Wednesday nights, we've been studying about the devil, about Satan, and about his schemes, and we need to know how to deal with those. And it's this sword of the spirit that enables us to do that. For we do not wrestle, Paul said, with flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We read all that and think, what in the world is that? What is all of that? I don't know what all that is. But it's out there, Paul says, and it's evil, and it pulls us in evil directions, and it attacks us, and we need to be able to defend ourselves against it, and so we need this whole armor of God. And so he says, put on the whole armor of God that he supplies so that we can do battle against evil. Does anybody question that we're in a battle? Does anybody question that it's a struggle to live the right way and do the right thing that God wants us to do? And so Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Protect yourself. Protect your heart, especially. And take the shield of faith, he said, and put on the equipment of the gospel for your shoes and take the helmet of salvation and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's the only part of the armor that is a weapon of offense rather than of simply a protection defense. It's the weapon, and it is the weapon that we need. This past Wednesday evening, we were studying the temptations of Jesus, how he was out in the wilderness being tempted by the devil, and how the devil kept quoting scripture to him and, and telling him, you know, if you're the son of God, you can turn these stones into bread. And Jesus responded, it is written, 
Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He just cut right through the devil's temptation with that quotation from Deuteronomy. And then he took him up on some place where he could see all the kingdoms of the world in a moment's time. And he said, if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all that. I'll give you all that. The world's always making promises to us, isn't it? You know, if you'll just cheat a little here, if you'll just do the wrong thing over there, if you'll just turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to sin over here, you're going to be a whole lot better off, we're told. And Jesus said, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Once again, he just cut right through what Satan was saying. And then the devil said, he took him up on top of the temple. And he said, jump off. Throw yourself down. Because the Bible says, the Bible says, he won't let you dash your foot against a stone, but he'll send his angels to catch you. You're going to be okay. And Jesus said, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to a test. Every time Satan came at Jesus with a temptation, he was able to cut right through it with the sword of God's spirit, his word. And to turn that temptation away and not be affected by it. Knowing that scripture protects you against all of the evil, against all the corruption, against the spiritual death of this world and its ruler. That alone ought to make you love it. Well, if we do love God's word, what, what should we do? Same thing we would do with anything or anyone else that we love, spend time with it. Spend time with it. You know, when Anatoly Sharansky was a prisoner in that Soviet gulag, he had all the time in the world, didn't he? Nine years. Nine years. Had all the time in the world to delve into the book of Psalms. That's one reason he loved it so much. Because he did. He fed on it day by day. You may have to make time in your life. You're not in a prison camp. You may feel like you are sometimes, but you're not. You may have to make time for the Word of God, but if you love it, you're going to have to spend time with it. And if you love God's Word, you will make that time. And then making that time will make you love Scripture even more. And remember that time spent with God's Word is not an optional part of your life. If you're going to hear God's voice and be guided by His words and have the wisdom that leads to salvation uh, and not be deceived by this world's evil, you have to make a place for God's Word in your life. You have to do that. And the more you love it, then the more you'll want to do that. And the more you do that, the more you'll love it. And the closer you'll find yourself drawing to God. So if you're not already following Jesus, here's what the word of God says to you. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only son 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. No one comes to the Father but by me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you always, even to the close of the age. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. If you're ready to follow Jesus today, you love him, love his word, love God, love the salvation that he offers, come and tell us while we stand and sing.